Hello and welcome to a brand new coordination overreaction. This time it's the Northwestern edition. Uh, I know what you think, Greg Haas. The much better game to overreact to would be Nebraska-Wisconsin volleyball. But Haas fell asleep and I'm not nearly qualified. I'm not really qualified enough to talk about football, let alone volleyball. So uh, we'll be sticking with our strengths uh, or, you know, putting our best foot forward, at least anyway, uh, and talking about uh, Nebraska's win yesterday over the Northwestern Wildcats. It was uh, homecoming. Nebraska won 17 to 9. Haas, first of all, great seeing you again. Always uh, enjoy our, our weekly chats. Thank you. And you know what? This is a nice Sunday night tradition. It's even better when we win. Two wins from bowl eligibility. It, it's uh, I I okay. I'm also the guy who drinks the Kool Aid and and maybe oh, yeah. tends to uh be a little too optimistic. I was like fifteen and zero, fifteen and zero. You know yeah. we're gonna, <laughs> um, but to be where we're at, you know, seven games into the season, we're four and three. Uh, we have Purdue, we have Michigan State. We have uh, Maryland and then finishing out Wisconsin and Iowa left. Five games left on, on the regular season schedule. There are at least two that are wins. I mean, it, it just feels nice. It, barring some catastrophe at one memorial, it, it just seems like there's positive momentum at this point of the season rather than a lot of uh, uh, scrambling running around like our hair's on fire. Yeah, I think it's been a while since we could say that we've had some positive momentum on October 22nd. Um, you probably have to probably have to go back to 2016 to the last time that we felt good in October. You know, 2017 was, I, you know, I was going to relitigate, you know, kind of some of the struggles. But you know what? That's in the past because we're only two games away from bowl eligibility. So let's focus on the present here. All right, we can, but I do want to say it's a far cry from being 0-6 in 2018. Yes, yes. I think five <laughs> years ago right now, we were probably doing one of our podcasts when we were sitting at 1-6 and on... Bethune-Cookman? Uh, on October 22nd, leading into Bethune-Cookman to go 2-6. and yeah. six. So it feels, to quote Kevin Malone, it just feels good to win one. To quote Major League, we've won two in a row, win one more, and that's called a winning streak. That's right. And, uh, you know, then we got that infamous. I know we've been touting this for a few weeks on the podcast now. We have the let's lock up bowl eligibility on the banks of the Red Cedar River up in East Lansing, Michigan on November 4th. Because I will drink enough beer to fill up <laughs> a lake up in East Lansing. That's right. You are going to be there. Now, I, it's... We talk about our thing, you and I, you yeah. specifically, like how you haven't copyrighted this phrase, incremental improvement by now. I don't know. I think Carol you, Dweck would probably have something to say about that. <laughs> He's the educational psychologist that authored the theory. Well, we know, you know, the, and, and Matt Rule has said we want to be better after game 12 than we were at game one. And I think – Correct me if I'm wrong. In the, in the post game presser, he says something like, "I don't know if we win this game if we played it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, back at the beginning of September." I'm seeing the incremental improvement, but that benchmark for a number of years, going back to 
to, to, to borrow one of your favorite phrases or, you know, out of necessity favorite phrase that the Obama administration is bowl eligibility. Yep. And we're not trying not to put the cart before the horse and we're taking it one game, one day at a time, but it feels good to be sitting here in a control your own destiny type of thing, rather than trying to scramble and, and having a much better Wisconsin team on uh, the schedule ahead of you or uh, the usual Ohio state or, or, you know, more again, we we've said, we said a couple weeks ago, we've played our toughest game of the season in Michigan. Now it's put your best effort out there and see what happens. Now, the only downside with yesterday's game against Northwestern is we had a little bit of that late game, Illinois, uh, give the ball away, uh, itis, uh, as you will, you know, we open up the first play of the game is an interception that's thrown. Um, and I remember at one point, this all ties in. I, I was on uh, at the number five heart uh, podcast on X or Twitter. And I said, this defense deserves better. <laughs> you know, yes. uh, the offense picked up where they left off. And usually we could, we say that in a positive thing, like they were scorching the defense on the other team. No, they were finding ways to cough up the ball early. Mm-hmm. They figured it out. And, and part of it came from what's Nebraska's strength. What's the opposition's weakness. And that's running the ball and defending the run. So they got back to basics. They, uh, uh, RTFB'd, Run if you will, ball, uh, and and they were able to sustain some of that momentum. Um, yes. One of the things we'll talk about here is the course of the show. Uh, Harburg did not look crisp yesterday. Had uh, nice runs, you know, able to, and honestly, faked out the commentators uh, on more than one occasion where they thought on that uh, quarterback option uh, read that they thought that the cameras were following the wide receiver. And I just always had it like, no, Heinrich's got that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, something you can just tell by the way, I mean, there there's selling the fake or, or, or there's um, selling the keep. And then there's just running the route. And, and uh, you know, he had the, we'll talk about this as well. The really nice uh, pass to Malachi Coleman. Uh-huh. to get the, the young man, his first uh, career touchdown, first of many, but, as we've been saying for a few weeks now, this team will go as far as the defense can take them. Yep. And right now that defense can take us as far as we want to go. You know, it can take us all the way to Indianapolis provided that the offense decides that to... <coughs> I was trying to make it through without coughing. <laughs> to our listeners, good. I am deathly ill right now. Uh, not really, but just have, you know, a really bad cold. The crud. That's going yeah. around. Yeah, it's just the crud. But, yeah, the defense can take us as far as we want to go. So if we want to make it to Indianapolis, the defense is good enough to get us there. It's can we play complementary football in the other two phases of the game to carry this team to 9-3, and 8-4 and four by the time the regular season's over. And so that starts and ends with running the football, which I think you saw – I think Emmett Johnson – usurped Anthony Grant as the starter. Grant had, what, six carries yesterday. Johnson rushed for about 73 yards, I think, on close to 20 carries. You have the stats pulled up? I do. Um, and thank you so much for – yeah, so uh, rushing, 
of Johnson, 12 carries, 73 yards. Uh, Harbord, 16 carries, 76 yards. Grant, uh, 6 carries, 22 yards. Uh, Harburg did have the touchdown run. Um, Josh Fleeks had, you know, three carries for, uh, I guess, a net of four yards. Yeah. Uh, that's what I, I should well, say well. net. Uh, Harburg was uh, net 72, so Emma Johnson was our leading rusher at 73 yards. Yeah, so, you know, like you're seeing – you're seeing that be our identity and it's nothing new. You know, we've talked about this for probably the past month, that being our identity to run the football quarterback running game. But in terms of playing complimentary football to get to Indianapolis, yesterday was a game that as rule said is one that we lose if it's played earlier in the season. Now that it's played later in the season, we're, you know, have a little bit more confidence. We've incrementally improved week over week to the point to close out these kind of games. The one thing that I'll say about the offense, or I'll, I'll say a couple of things because it all ties together. First off, you know, bitch, moan, and complain when we don't execute. I mean, that's your God-given right as a fan when your team doesn't favorite team doesn't execute. But at the same time, like when we do something well, don't do what some fans do. And I'm not talking to you, Greg. I'm just talking in general. Um don't do what some fans do and be like, oh, yeah, we picked up 10 yards. This offense is still a pile of shit. You know, it's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> embrace, embrace. We are. We're not we're not a perfect team. We're not a perfect offense. This is not the final vision that rule wants to have at Nebraska. Of right. this offense. It's in a developmental phase and we are getting better incrementally on a few things week to week. That being said. I didn't exactly love the play calling to start out the game yesterday. No. I think it was an opportunity. They saw it as an opportunity to get, you know, some real-time – build some real-time confidence with um, Heinrich Harburg throwing the football. But, unfortunately, you saw a lot of the same issues come up. Locking onto receivers, pre-step, you know, <laughs> sidearm throws, not being able to place the ball, you know, with pinpoint accuracy. And so by the time that we finally decided to get out of that and lean on what our identity's been, you know, it was probably into the second quarter. Thankfully, the defense is good enough that it was still able to, you know, keep us in the game without falling behind. The fear is that if we did that against other teams, say, you know, take your pick of any of the next few teams on the schedule, you know, the remaining schedule, we probably wouldn't be lucky enough to still be able to, you know, win the game if, with that poor of a start. You're talking about two interceptions in the first two possessions. So, you know, play calling didn't love it. Um, Harburg, I think you're seeing he is what he is. There are severe limitations in the passing game. And because of that, I'm willing to say that I think we will see Jeff Sims as our starter before the year's over. Now, I just to that point, yep. I saw, I don't know, maybe this was a headline or maybe this was conjecture, but uh, something along the lines of Heinrich Harburg is the starter moving forward. Yeah, that was, it was kind of, in print, I think it was a little different than what Rule was saying okay. at the moment. Like Rule was saying, you know, like as of now, moving forward, he's our starter, but we're still reevaluating it. That's you know, That's week week. But, I, uh, I know no, at one point, I, I think one point uh, during the game, early during the game on, on uh, X, uh, which uh, just call it Twitter, man. I know. Come on. <laughs> but uh, because if, if, if if Twitter is now X, does that mean that Twitter, Twitter, Twitter.com is now triple X.com? That's Twitter, Twitter. I have no idea. What's the three? I'm just making a bad oh, joke. I'm oh, sorry. 
No, um, but anyway, you said very early on when when Harburg was having his struggles, it's like, uh, nope, time to pull him. <laughs> no, I honestly, I think it was time to pull him because here's the thing: Sims was not playing well to start the year. Like nobody's going to argue that you had problems with the cadence and the snap counts at Colorado because of the crowd noise, and I think the staff had kind of changed some of the ways we were communicating pre-snap. To, and it made it worse. And then you also had, you know, the turnover at, turnovers at Minnesota. That being said, this is somebody who had to just get thrown straight into the fire with two road games against two Power 5 opponents to start the year. I think that there is, you know, a very real possibility that if he would have had, you know, a, a slate of Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech to start the year, that his numbers would have looked very different. I, you know, I understand why Rule hasn't made the change back to Sims because you're four and one with Harburg as the starter. You don't disrupt the team chemistry at this point. You know, it's not pretty, but he wins. You know, it's like what I was saying about, you know, accept the offense for what it is. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be the final vision. It just is what it is this year. You can save yourself a lot of uh, emotional energy just by accepting that. But I think that Sims gives us more of a legitimate option in the passing game than Harburg does. And we are going to need that at some point in, down the stretch of the season. And so, <coughs> excuse me, I think that uh, we will see Sims step back into that role. Looking at the rest of the regular season, again, let's kind of uh, just run down briefly. Purdue, Michigan State, Maryland, Wisconsin, Iowa. What team do you feel would require the Jeff Sims touch? Well, here's the thing. Purdue, you're facing Ryan um, Ryan Walters, the head the coach. Illinois. Last year was the Illinois DC, who's very good with coverages. So, you know, Harburg has problems kind of. He, he tends to identify who he's going to throw to pre-snap. And so somebody who's skilled at disguising coverages could probably really take advantage of that. Michigan State, I don't know enough about, nor do I know enough about Maryland's defense. But Wisconsin and Iowa are two defenses that could be, that could really create problems in limiting the passing game beyond its already existing limitations. And so I think, honestly, I think you're going to see Sims step in in the Purdue game. Do you think it'll be just based on strengths, like individual strengths, or? Is there going to be a moment where, and we and we hope they've done that. But again, if we're going to prognosticate where Harburg, I don't want to say like breaks down or or causes too many errors, you know, what I'm trying to say like, is is it going to just be the staff recognizing, hey, we've got Jeff Sims here, we know his strengths and his weaknesses, and and he goes through his progressions a little bit better rather than keying on one specific receiver, yeah. like you said, or is it going to be? Uh, a Harburg malfunction during the game. I I unfortunately think it's probably going to be a Harburg malfunction during the game. That's kind of the feeling, the overall feeling that I get, you know, just based off of what we've seen, um, the passing, if we're being honest here, the passing has trended worse and worse over the past three or four. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you to one extent. The deep pass that he hit to Alex Bullock against Illinois? I was going to say the deep pass that he hit to Malachi Coleman against Northwestern. Well, you know, that he, he put that 
he put that biscuit in such a basket, you would think those two were roommates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <and> roommates. <laughs> God, that was awful. Um, You're welcome. No, but, you know, that that's a really good point. That's a scheme pass. We schemed it open. But at some point, the remainder of the season, if we want to accomplish the goals that we have for this team, we're going to have to have somebody who can drop back and actually fit it into a few windows. All and, right, I'll come I'm, out of retirement. I'm not. I'm not calling Sims. I'm not calling Sims. That you know, Peyton Manning. You know, he is what he is as well. There are limitations there, but <laughs> I think that if Harburg continues to struggle, that he definitely deserves a look to see what he can do with after healing up from that injury. Well, we talked about, uh, or at least mentioned now, uh, Malachi Coleman. Once or twice, uh, the true freshman, the highly touted uh, hometown product, got his—I mean, not his first start, but uh, got his first touchdown. I think it was his first game with a reception. You—you, I don't know if that's true or not. I think he but, had one. I think he had a catch against Illinois for like six yards. But I feel like again, as a freshman, it. I'll, I'll give you, I don't want to say give you the credit, but, um, uh, you know, using your verbiage scheme play, he seems to have the ability to do what Nebraska has not had this year so far, which is have a receiver who can take the top off a of defense. Yeah. I think, you know, that could have been something that really could have helped against Colorado, just running people deep, you know, to open up things underneath. And so I think Malachi Coleman's going to be a great player at Nebraska. I think the key moving forward this year is just to continue to scheme him open. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, I like what I saw out of that. You know, it was it was nice to connect on something like that because it was a little bit. It wasn't too much dissimilar from trying to scheme Tommy Hill open either. You know, like that right at points this year. Um, and and not only that, but. I mean, let's credit the defense, uh, which we'll talk about. The defense did a great job of keeping Northwestern out of the end zone. Um, but that pass to, you know, Coleman there in the fourth quarter helped take a game that, I mean, it's a, it was a one-possession game all throughout. I mean, it, it wasn't uh, – um, there was never a time when Nebraska put Northwestern away – but at least gave some breathing room. My goodness, it was 10 to 6, you know, up until then. And, and you know, a scoreless third quarter. So it to come out the fourth quarter like they did, to have that, it got a lot of excitement there, you know, uh, with, with being that he's a local kid and Nebraskans love their Nebraskans, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, just Just a lot of energy and excitement came from that moment. For sure, you know, and – I think that there's also the nostalgia factor since that was on an old Tom Osborne 32 belly option pass play, you know, so best of both worlds right there. And I think Matt Rule addressed that after the game, did he not? He did. He did. And then, um, you know, one thing that I really like to see from the co- this coaching staff, this regime so far is guys emerging, you know, and developing game to game. And, you know, like we, discussed in text before we decided to record tonight you know james williams his emergence yesterday i mean i don't think we've seen a accelerate acceleration and a burst like that from a defensive end in quite some time at nebraska and 
<laughs> kudos to that staff for identifying him, you know, from one of those summer camps. I think he's an Iowa Central Community College guy. Um, that kind of long, lengthy pass rusher is the kind of guy that usually is on an opposing Big Ten West roster that causes us a lot of problems over the past seven years. I say we probably haven't had one like that since Randy Gregory. Yeah, that, and his body type is very reminiscent of Randy. And, and the the real interesting thing with the uh, um, Williams is he he's impressing. He's you know certainly got name his name on this show, but it's not really necessarily what shows up on the stat sheet. You know, mm-hmm. had had one tackle. Um, it was uh, you know solo tackle. It was I mean he had a yeah it was a sack. You know five yard sack. Um, but it's the disruption that he causes that I mean, Nebraska was in the Northwestern backfield. They were chewing him up, spitting him out. I mean, let's talk about this. They finished with eight sacks, 13 total tackles for loss. And that costs Northwestern, those 13 uh, TFLs, 62 yards. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, you talked about that disruption. I'm going to invoke your favorite NFL football coach right here, Bill Belichick. Oh shit! I thought you were. I thought you should be nice. <laughs> yeah, he actually he actually has said in an interview that sacks are kind of overrated if you're going to be talking when you're talking about pass rushers. Yes, it's great to get the quarterback on the ground, but the true value of a pass rusher is in the disruption that they create that leads to interceptions. You know, and so like the, sacks. When you look at it, you know, if a player has 12, 15 sacks on the season, that's a lot of sacks. Right. But think about it, that's pretty small compared to the overall number of snaps that they're out there for for the entire year. So the disruption is more valuable than the actual sack is because the disruption, you know, you might hurry a, you're going to hurry a quarterback into making a throw more often than you are actually going to be able to sack him and get him on the ground. So yeah, that disruption is key. And he had that in spades yesterday. And, you know, to that point, if it's, if, if you're a defense and you're looking at third and eight, honestly, what's more attractive? Like what, what's the better outcome of a third and eight, a sack for a loss of even seven yards or getting that quarterback off his timing, making him uh, force, uh, force a bad decision. And then you come away with an interception. Like, I mean, there's, it's, it's a no brainer, yep. you know? Um, so, but that defense. I mean, let, let's let's talk about the defense. Um, I just, for their sake, not that it matters. I mean, they did. Tommy Hill did have the interception. I I do wish that the offense was better so that the turnover margin wasn't so ridiculous. <laughs> but this is a solid defense, even without forcing a lot of uh, uh, turnovers or, or takeaways. Um, you know, we talked about uh, thirteen tackles for loss. Uh, I'm not even. All right. I'm going to do this as diplomatically as I can. Uh, the polar bear, Nash Hutmacher, Hutmaker, uh, Isaac Gifford, and Prince Will, and that's all we're going to say, each had seven <laughs> tackles. Uh, Jamari Butler, Luke Reimer, great to see Reimer back in there. He was up there with six tackles. Um, he's closing in on 300, I believe, for his career. You're muted. Dang, a lot of tackles. <laughs> So uh, it, it just we, – we talked at the outset that about this defense, um, which was – I remember in the offseason, the defense had a lot 
of question marks around it. It did. And it's just a testament to Tony White and this defensive staff and their ability to develop. And granted, a lot more was left on the defensive side of the ball in the cupboard than on the offensive side of the football. I, Tony White, you always, you, you see it on, on social media, you see it where, you know, message boards, everybody's saying the same thing. Tony White is coaching like he's a player in his free agency year. Yeah. How, how, how quickly until he gets signed to a, a, a bigger contract to stay in Lincoln? <laughs> oh, I think it needs to happen right at the end of this year. I think, I, I think so too. I think you're looking at, you know, Dave Aranda when he was at LSU as the defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. I think he was closing on $2 million a year. As the DC when he was at LSU, Tony White demands that kind of money. I mean, when you look at the players that they've created, like the, developed, you know, from last year to this year, Nash Hutmacher was on the verge of at best looking like a jag, just a guy, you know, and at worst looking like a bust. But now right. he's leading the team in sacks with four. He's at the top of the conference in every just about every statistical category for you know defensive linemen. You get a guy like James Williams, who granted it's one game, it's limited sample size, but we've never seen a guy like this that we find at a summer camp step into a game, a live Big Ten football game, and affect the passer like that. You've got John Bullock, who effectively Wally pipped uh, Nick Henrich. You know, John Bullock is playing really high-level football right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like – you know, people always say you don't lose your job to injury, you know, and that's only half true in football. You know, he was, he's played at a higher level than Nick Henrich. And then you got guys in the secondary who are playing really high level football. And so when you look and then you got your freshmen who are playing at a high level, they're not playing like freshmen. How many years in a row have we seen at Nebraska? Our freshmen don't do jack shit in their first year and everywhere else around the country and around the conference they have freshman difference makers right out. Right. But we right. finally have some of that, you know, like we got Prince will, you got Cameron Lenhart, you know, which I believe Cameron was back in the lineup last. Yeah. He had, he had three tackles, including a sack or a, a tackle for loss yesterday. So. And he picked up right where he left off yeah. before the injury. Again, disruption. Like so, I'm, there's a part of me that uh, I think that our defense is more effective when Lenhart's in the lineup at the five technique spot, rather than when Ty Robinson is. But we, they complement each other really well because it's part of different packages. And that's what I love so much about Tony White's defense is it's 3-3-5. Three, three, that's the base of it, yes. But we're going to morph into stuff that looks like a 6-1, a 5-1. We're going to get into stuff that looks like the traditional 3-4, 4 down. You know, it's going to be 46 bear, you know, the 3-3 three, three cub. I know we're getting a little, you know, technical on the terms and, you know, I don't have time to really describe them in depth or the <laughs> medium too. So I know a lot of people might think that I'm being jargony, but just the multitude of schemes that we run within one scheme and the just the efficiency in which we execute shows me that Tony White, Rob Dvorak, Terrence Knighton, Evan Cooper, that these guys are first-class football coaches and teachers of football. You know, like it's, you know, previous defensive coordinators could draw it up on the whiteboard beautifully. They had, you know, the ski, you know, on the whiteboard, everything's undefeated. (coughs) They didn't know how to troubleshoot it. They didn't know how to coach the techniques. 
And, you know, I think that a big part of this defensive success is what Rule has already mentioned as well, is Bill Bush kind of did phase one of the rebuild late last year for this defense. You know, they were playing pretty good defensive football at the tail end of 2022. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, you know, is, you know, that execution and playing at a high level at the end of last year comes down to their confidence being rebuilt and them feeling like they were able to step into this new scheme and really go execute at a high level because they had something to build upon. I'm telling you, this defense, you know, aside from the Michigan game, there's been nothing that's really disappointed me. I'm, I, I don't get any, I don't get disappointed about anything from the Colorado game because that defense beat the shit out of Shadur Sanders. Right. You know, and yeah. they, you know, <laughs> did everything they could have to keep us in that game to win that game. Mm-hmm. The offense spit the bit time and time again. So, like, and I'm not even going to get mad about the Michigan game because that's basically an NFL team that we were playing. You know, so. And and the Wisconsin or not, sorry, uh, the Minnesota game defense played their asses off there. I they still did. contend six weeks later, seven weeks later with the bye week, uh, that if we just run the ball at the end, but we're one game closer to bowl eligibility. Um, I want to talk about Nebraska. The The Huskers ranked fifth in the nation in uh, rushing yards allowed per game at 76.6. Um, as far as points per game, uh, I mean, they're all right. They're down a little further. Well, you've got it's not I mean, you got Michigan okay. who's given up five point nine percent points per game. You know, so that but nineteen point three points per game. Uh, and again, a lot of that's the Michigan game. Uh, Colorado too. I mean, the bulk of the games have been, you know, the defense has been getting out there and, and taking care of business. Um, and then even even passing yards, they're not they're not getting torched. Um, and I, I don't get too I didn't get too upset about that play yesterday, that that bomb that Northwestern hit. Just yeah, it was a busted coverage. Shit happens, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they schemed us wide open, you know, dissected us. It wasn't like you know athletes we got out athleted. Just a bust in assignment. It happens. It, it I can, you know, kind of to to double down on what you said. It's just nice to see guys from all. All, all across the the college age spectrum. That sounds weird. Uh, getting in there, participating because they're getting the proper coaching. Finally, here in Lincoln, for the first time in years. Makes um, me think about you know like we've done a lot of relitigating of the recent past at Nebraska, but I want to say this more in a positive light. With this staff, it makes me think: what could they have done with a JoJo Dolman? What could they have done no. with a Garrett Nelson? You know, guys like that. You know, even uh, Damian Daniels, you know, from the 2021 defense. Or Cam Taylor Britt as well. And, uh, you know, on offense, I think, you know, I think the staff could have made some serious hay with Adrian Martinez at quarterback. I mean, it just if you want to be like, I don't know if this is going to make us kind of like smile or make us want to just jump off a bridge here. But if you gave rule – the 20 let, let's say rule inherits the 2018 roster that frost inherited that frost you know in conjunction with the guys that he brought in mm-hmm. rule might have us ranked in the top five top 10 seriously when you look at the 
amount of talent that was left behind for Frost and, you know, including some of the talent that he brought in himself, you know, say Adrian Martinez. But, you know, I bet if if Rule would have inherited Tanner Lee, Patrick O'Brien, or Tristan Jebbia, he would have made things work, you know. Yeah. You know, he inherits Divino Zigbo, Stanley Morgan, J.D. Spielman, Jack Stoll, Brendan Hymas, Matt Farniak. You know, like guys I, who I just rattled off are on NFL rosters or who have spent time on NFL rosters. Rule would have this team ranked in the top ten, hands down, in my opinion. I don't – We'd be, we'd be six and one. There, there are things that we still had on the list to talk about, but that is such a mind – stinging mind blowing concept makes me me even more pissed off about (laughs) how empty the gross negligence that scott frost coached this program with well it's nice to see him back on a college football field yesterday Uh, oregon (laughs) yeah i think it's gonna be i i I do foresee a time because time heals all or most moves. Be, he will go on to be an elite play caller somewhere. Well, I was going to say, I do f- foresee a time where he, he will come back to Lincoln and be embraced once again. I also see a time where Bo Pelini will come back. Well, will at least be invited back. I see Bo Pelini being embraced again long before Frost. Billy C? Billy, You know what? Billy C, that guy did some serious heavy lifting to mm-hmm. modernize the Nebraska program. And it didn't work out, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. With Bo, honestly, like, I think we can all look back and say, yeah, it should. he probably shouldn't have been fired. You know, like, I think we can all say that in honesty, rather, regardless of which side of the fence you were on in that conversation. Riley, it just didn't work out. Again, he brought in a lot of good talent. He tried. He worked his ass off. Frost? Busy at the bar. Yeah. I mean, what else can be said? You know? Allegedly. 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 I wasn't Allegedly. there. I wasn't there. But, like, what, what else can you say other than it's just negligence that, you know, how many how many guys are out there playing major college football that's like, hey, they wanted a Nebraska offer. They had Nebraska ties. Frost never gave them the time of day. Yeah. You know, it's just like there's so many things that he just didn't do the small things right. Now, with Rule – Every press conference rule has, it's just like I'm left with the same thought every time. This guy just gets it. Mm-hmm. And maybe the fact that we have a, a responsible adult in the room leading the program is a pretty low bar to clear. But still, at the same time, like they, the dude just gets it. Like rules going to turn around Nebraska. Are we, am I, when I say that he's going to lead us back, are we going to win national championships three out of four years and like in the 90s? No. We may not win an entire we may not win a national championship under rule, but you know what I think we'll do? Wait a minute. Just Wait hear a minute. me out. Just hear me out. Okay. Right. It's the same concept as the disruption is worth it. You know, the disruption has more value of for a pass rusher than actual sacks. Just having us in the conversation year in, year out, like it like what Tom Osborne had in Nebraska in in the 1980s. <sighs> I think the 1980s are more of a true ceiling for what Nebraska football is and can be and once was than the 90s are because the 90s are such a confluence of factors. Everything just had to come together just right. The 1980s is what the true Nebraska program 
is and was, in my opinion. You're the one with the good memory, not me. I'm going to put it all on, on front street right there. You uh, have an eidetic memory. You remember everything. And that's great because I don't. <laughs> but what I do remember is at the tail end of 2017, after a certain uh, press oh, conference, God, yeah. you said at that time, like I'll see you in New Orleans in 2021 for the national championship when when uh, HESF is taking us down there. Yeah. Uh, oh no, that wasn't. I don't think that was late 2017. I think that was like summer 2018. Well, okay, whatever. It was before the uh, Akron non game. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but such such were the hopes and the expectations and 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 the hype that we were both. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll see. I'll see you there. Nat, Nat national championship game. Oh yeah. Uh, buy me a ticket and, and I'll uh, cover the airfare or whatever it was. Um, and now with a, with your words, an adult in the room, now you're saying that we might not ever realize a full fledged national championship. Hoss, you are killing the audience right, right now. It's about to get a lot harder. A lot of things have changed since then. Yeah, that's true. You know, the, the, the big 10 is expanding even more. You know, playoffs expanding, Big Ten's expanding even more. NIL has changed the game. I mean, one scary thing, I don't want to bring our audience down even further, but one thing you have to worry about is there's a good chance that a lot of our defense could be poached at the end of the year in with NIL. Especially if Nebraska's NIL continues to kind of, well, spin its wheels a little bit. Now, hold on. Uh, never mind. Usually, I have a bag of pipeline jerky here for. Uh, no, I'm talking about like the NIL collective, gotcha. yeah, things like that. You know, like you know, the, I don't know the specifics, obviously, but you know, I think there's enough writing on the wall to see that we've kind of been aced out when it comes to NIL. You know, so that's something you know, that- we we were originally on the forefront. We were leading the way. So that's something that we're gonna have to keep an eye on moving forward. You know, just. You know, you don't want to get to the end of the year and then all of a sudden like guys like Cameron Lenhart are going to, I don't know, fucking Notre Dame or something. Well, it happened at the end of last year with Ernest Hausman going to Michigan. Which, and you can't tell me that there wasn't some tampering involved in season after we played Michigan, you know, for him to make that decision that quickly after the end of the regular right. season. It's like Harbaugh, you know, like, Harbaugh so, um, so walked across the field after the game and says, "Like, how'd you like to be in Ann Arbor next week or next month, kid?" He's slimy. Har- Harbaugh slimy. Well, we won't have to deal with them unless we get to Indianapolis. Deal with them again, I should say, unless we get to uh, Indianapolis. And Haas, it is uh, uh, you're not 100. percent You're under the weather, and and I'm I got a lot to do tonight. It's it's a school night. It's a work night. I've got laundry to put away uh showers and shaves to have i gotta do all this why don't we just call it a show buddy you know what that sounds good to me let's call it a show let's reconvene after we beat purdue next week and we're one step closer i like it we're or i know i tend to withhold my prediction for five heart do you want to give your nebraska purdue prediction sir Sure, I'm going to say Nebraska 23, Purdue 21. It is because they have that doggone 
defensive mind over at head coach, right? Yep. He's a good coach. Well, is he? They, is he they have a shit ton of problems right now as they've been transitioning to that Graham Harrell offense. Is it, uh, is he a better, I guess maybe small sample size. And I know we're trying to end the show and not ask more questions, but you were very high on Jeff Brom. I was. Brom's probably my favorite play caller in the entire country. So, but we have two different minds, offensive mind versus defensive mind, you know, so it's very difficult to compare the two. Yeah, I think I think it's what they're dealing with right now is a big change in culture and philosophy. You know, like, yes, Graham Harrell is their offensive coordinator and they want to run the air raid with Hudson Card at quarterback and they still have Devin Mockaby at tailback. But when a defensive mind head coach just always kind of tends to be a little more conservative at critical junctures of the game. And I think that overall there's a little bit of a culture flip that's taking place, you know, for Purdue. Um, Brom being the play caller and the head coach was very aggressive in his right. calling and in his the way he managed games. So I think they're just kind of getting used to, you know, I think they're just kind of getting used to the new leadership in general. But, yeah, I think it'll be Nebraska 23, Purdue 21. I'm going to say one off, one offensive touchdown. I think the other two will come a defensive score and a score in the kicking game. Whether that's a block punt, return punt. No, I think I think But we win. Emma Johnson might have himself a coming out party. You know what? Go for about a buck forty and you know, like let you know, I would love nothing more than to beat Purdue like thirty five seven. Ragdolls. Emmett Johnson rushes for a buck forty. <laughs> When's the last time we, we had again, I'm I'm we're we gotta go, but hey, let me ask you another question. Uh, when's the last time a Nebraska running back ran for two hundred yards? Well, Divino Zigbo would have, um, if not for one thing, you know, Scott Frost dumbass play calling late in games, um, <laughs> averaging nine and a half yards per carry against Northwestern that year, and go away from him. Honestly, I think Trey Bryant, Arkansas State in twenty seventeen. I'm gonna fact check that just for the article, not for now, because that's not doesn't make for good uh, good show. But very interesting, and and also way too long. I I'm sure 200 yard rushers aren't uh, 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 as common, um, but by God, Melvin Gordon ran for 800 yards against us, so I figure we can get one every five or six, seven years. So, I'm still not over that game. Uh, I still hurts. I can't believe I brought it up. All right, everybody, this, this has been the coronation overreaction my good friend and uh in the mind the genius of it all uh Haas Reuter by the way you talked about some of those defensive uh sets and and not want to get too into the weeds on the jargon that'd be a great place for your X's and O's column you know I agree and I think the strategy I'm taking with this is starting those in the off season with having you know a large sample size to go back and look at over the course of 12, 13, 14 games rather than just, you know, game They're trying game. to throw it together. Yeah. You know, I, I want to do this right. I want to want to build upon, you know, itself, not just be like, Oh, look, we ran Y stick 17 times in this game. And uh, then we never ran it ever again. This is the Matt rule approach by building a foundation. Yes. And being prepared. Not the Scott Frost approach, which is hurry up and get it done. 
Scott Frost is the victim of his own success. Yeah. That that year at, at uh, Central Florida both uh, made him and doomed him. Yep. So you know, eventually there's going to be a 30 for 30 that comes out about that or a docu tell all book documentary about just what starting in 2017 and then going all the way until 2022. And it's going to be the most fascinating thing from a Nebraska fan standpoint, from a college football fan standpoint, from, you know, somebody who works in football, if you're a coach, you know, or an administrator, and then just from a human psychology standpoint, it's going to be fascinating just to understand why it couldn't be replicated. What got in the way? Pressure. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, I will say this and (laughs) here we go. Elongating the uh, podcast. I will say after we lost to Colorado in 19, the overtime game out in Boulder, I remember having a conversation with one of my friends who I went to the game with out there, and we were talking about play calling and how Frost just doesn't excel situationally like he did at UCF. And that was kind of the first time where I thought to myself, it kind of seems like he's intimidated by the magnitude of the job. Mm. And so, yeah, I do think pressure got to him. And that's why I think if Rule is really successful here, I don't think you'll ever see Rule leave for the Penn State job. I think Rule is an astute enough, smart enough guy to understand the axiom of you can't go home again. It's it's tough. Uh, uh, no profit is welcome in his hometown. Yeah, exactly. You know, go elsewhere. All right. This is officially right. well, the end of the show. Uh that's Hoss Reuter. I'm Greg Mahachko. This is the Coronation Overreaction. And until next time, go Big Red. Win the damn game. <laughs>